Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Well, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you'll remember that we're spending a bit of time re-examining the foundations of what it means for us as a church together to be radical disciples of Jesus, particularly around the call to love. We started, if you recall, by focusing inwards, really homing in on the way we're to love each other in our church family. Last week, uh, we then turned our attention outwards, looking at the love we're to have for the world around us. And this morning, I want us to look upwards and respond to the call to love God above all else and to live out of his narrative, not ours. Our text today is Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. But first of all, let me quickly tell you a couple of stories about young men who grew up in the Fallowfield area of Manchester. First story involves a boy who came from a working class family. His grandparents moved to the UK from the West Indies uh, in the 1960s. His mother was a single parent working multiple jobs to feed her five children. Even though his community really had nothing to call their own, they always found ways to offer kindness. And this experience deeply shaped him and became part of the story of his life. Rather than buying into a victim narrative, he believed in the power of the community caring for those in need. And so, although Marcus Rashford now plays for Manchester United, and I think it's probably fair to say has no financial worries whatsoever, he speaks of being a product of his community's compassion and their willingness to help and provide when he had nothing. And so now he's using his platform to speak on behalf of the millions whose voices aren't being heard. His goal is to make sure every child in this country is given a fair chance and that child hunger is eradicated. The stories we believe matter. The second story surrounds a Libyan boy who was born two years before Marcus Rashford and walked the same streets. He doesn't fit in, doesn't feel like he has any roots. In an attempt to find himself, he becomes one of three and a half thousand Libyans who go and fight in Syria. While there, he witnesses Muslim children dying everywhere. He, he sees the explosives dropped by America killing so many innocent people and he wants revenge. On returning to Manchester, he's confronted by the perceived immorality of the West all around him, gets in with an incredibly toxic Islamist group, and he becomes radicalised. As Salman Abidi walked across the foyer of the Manchester Arena on that awful evening, in May 2017 and detonated his shrapnel-laden device. His actions were the conclusion of a story that started many years before. One person wants to save lives, the other wants to destroy them. 
the stories we believe really matter. Now look, I'm aware, those are pretty emotive stories, aren't they? But what I want you to see is that really all of us are shaped by the narratives we believe to be true. And whether we realise it or not, we're all following one sort of cultural script or another. It's like the, the story we believe and the story we think we're part of, it determines so much what we define as good and bad, what we worship, what we prioritise, how we make decisions, where we live, what we do with our sexuality, how we spend our money. All areas of life are deeply impacted by the story we perceive ourselves to be in, which is one of the reasons why the last 18 months have been so incredibly challenging for so many of us. You see, one of the side effects of COVID is it's left us with something of a narrative crisis across the world. The, the scripts we were living by, well, they've been ripped up and it's left us disorientated and confused everything's been shaken and many of the things that we thought would keep us safe and secure have been shown to be ultimately lacking and so as we now look to move forwards it's really no surprise that many of us are feeling loss and grief disappointment disconnection sadness fear now in many respects there's a similar backdrop to the account we're about to read in Luke chapter 24. As we join the story, a couple of people, they're walking away from Jerusalem because they've been given a narrative about God's Messiah and it hasn't played out as they had expected. And so they're leaving. Let's pick it up in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Now, I think this is perhaps a little lost in translation, but this is Luke's attempt at humour here. Jesus is the only one who fully knows all that's just happened. But Jesus plays along. Verse 19, what things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Notice the past tense here we had hoped that they had this narrative that they had believed and they'd projected that narrative onto Jesus and when he didn't live up to their expectations they were disillusioned and they began to walk away from his mission 
You see, stories matter. They believed a false narrative that Jesus would be a military king. That they'd hoped he would redeem Israel by overthrowing the Romans. But now, because he was crucified by the Romans, well, in their eyes, he had failed. And so, they're walking to Emmaus. What's in Emmaus? Well, historically, we, we know that was one of the places where Judas Maccabeus, one of the last successful Jewish military leaders, had fought and won a decisive victory. So, what do they do when the story they put their hope in doesn't work out? Well, they go back to the place where their story was last told to be true. Now, here's why this is so important. In our culture today, I think many people are becoming disillusioned with following Jesus and committing to his church because they've bought into false narratives. They've allowed the prevailing narratives in our culture to shape their view of Jesus and of the church. And when Jesus and the church fail to deliver on those, well, they walk away disappointed and cynical. Listen, understanding the cultural narratives that are being fed to us has got to be one of the key tasks of discipleship. But sadly, many of us, I think, go through our lives without consciously questioning the stories, the scripts, the narratives, the norms that define our individual and our collective behaviour. And so I want us now to spend just a moment or two unpacking a few of the more prominent narratives out there in our culture and looking at how they have perhaps crept into the church. First narrative surrounds suspicion of power. The narrative goes something like this. We should be sceptical of any and all overarching narratives. Any story that contains explanatory power for all of life, well, that's got to be controlling and oppressive and therefore should be resisted at all costs. And so, when you've been shaped by this narrative and you join a church like this one that speaks of the authority of Scripture, a church that teaches we must submit our thoughts, our preferences, our desires to God's revealed will in the Bible, where the answer to every question is, well, what does the Bible say and how do I submit to that? Uh, when that church also refers to some individuals as leaders with authority to guard, guide and govern the church. Well, that just doesn't sit right. And so we end up picking and choosing the bits of the Bible we like and ignore anything that doesn't agree with what we think or how we want to live. And we feel like it's actually our God-given responsibility to fight against all kinds of leadership because we've been trained to think that all leadership is stifling and oppressive. But history teaches that when God's people reject his word and the leaders that he's given them, it never goes well. It always eventually ends in disaster. Second narrative for us to explore is that of 
capitalism. The narrative here is that anyone can come from anywhere and make great wealth and enjoy prosperity. If you work hard, really, you can be anything or anyone you want. It's all about bettering yourself, upward mobility, success. And if we buy into this, we can unthinkingly assume that success in the Christian life is all about health and wealth and prosperity. And so when life is hard and we get sick and we don't get what we feel our hard work deserves, well, at that moment, we can end up questioning the very existence of God. It's like, he owes me. And if he doesn't deliver, then he's not worthy of my allegiance anymore. And in leadership, the danger here is to equate success all the time with the, society, with the size of church. So we can fall into the trap of thinking that the goal is always growing bigger and better, which is a tremendous pressure and is a sure way to lead to burnout. But contrary to all of this, success for Jesus, according to the Bible, is defined in terms of obedience to him, faithfulness, perseverance, generosity, helping the poor, caring for the weak, and keeping going even through suffering and trials. Next narrative is that of consumerism. I think we've been shaped by our culture, haven't we, to think that it's our right to get what we want, which is this endless quest that never ultimately satisfies because there are billions of pounds being spent by global corporations to keep fueling our discontentment with what we have and then lure us in with the promise of happiness if we could only own their product or the frequent updated versions of their product that we never realised existed and certainly never wanted until we saw their marketing campaign. All of which bleeds into the church and causes this constant sense of feeling unsettled and restless and wanting more and refusing to put down roots and moving from place to place in search of some elusive reality that doesn't even exist. And it's all about my preferences and never about preferring others. It's all about my needs being met rather than me sacrificing for the needs of others. All of which is incredibly shallow and works against the deeper work that God wants to do in us. But we never hang around long enough for him to do it because we've been conditioned to crave style over substance. That's consumerism. And then there's celebrity and influence. TikTok, YouTube, they've fueled this belief that anybody can become a star overnight. There's this desire to get online and get as many views and likes as possible. It's like anybody can go from obscurity to fame. And so there's this narrative of needing to be seen. All you need is a phone and good Wi-Fi. And so we come into the church and feel the need to establish ourselves as a recognised player. It's all about me. I need to get attention. I need to be recognised. 
And if others don't give me the platform that I crave or celebrate my giftedness, then I'll just go somewhere else that will. But there's only ever room for one saviour in the church. And that role, sorry, is already taken. And don't forget, the route that Jesus took is that of the cross. It's all about dying to self. And so whenever we try to make it all about our own name and our fame and our glory, really we're showing we don't know Jesus at all. Now look, there are so many other narratives. There's the rampant individualism or the narrative of victimhood that is spawned by so much of what we've just looked at. There are narratives around gender and sexuality and race. But hopefully, I've modelled a way to interrogate and question those narratives because we do need to think deeply about the stories we live in. hope I've managed to persuade you of that. As followers of Jesus, we need more than ever the gift of discernment to make sure that our faith isn't being corrupted and co-opted and disproportionately influenced by the narratives of the culture around us. Just like in this account of these two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus where their story shaped their discipleship, in our world today much of our behaviour is based on the cultural narratives that we have unthinkingly absorbed. Which is why, despite the very real suffering and pain of the last 18 months, and I certainly don't want to downplay any of that, nonetheless, the global pandemic, I think, has potentially, in some ways, been a gift to us. You see, it's given us perhaps a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reset everything. What if, through all the disruption, God was simply looking to get our attention and shake us from mindlessly accepting the narratives of our culture that have been shown over this time to just not work? Listen, my appeal would be to resist the temptation now to get on your equivalent of the road to Emmaus simply going back to what you believed in the past. Won't you use this as an opportunity to recalibrate the narrative of your life to that of Jesus? Now, to help you out as we rejoin Luke's account, I want to show you five practical things that we can do to live lives that are rooted in and aligned to the story of Jesus. So let's pick it up where we left it in verse 21. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. But clearly, 
They hadn't believed those reports as they had lost hope and were leaving Jerusalem saddened. Walking away from Jerusalem meant walking away from the place of God's presence and the place of Jesus' death and resurrection. They're walking away from all of that and heading into the unknown. Verse 25, then Jesus said to them, Really, this is the harshest language Jesus uses in the whole of the Gospel of Luke. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself now that is a podcast i'd love to download verse 28 by this time they were nearing a mess and the end of their journey jesus acted as if he were going on but they begged him stay the night with us since it's getting late so he went home with them as they sat down to eat he took the bread and blessed it then he broke it and gave it to them Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognised him as he was breaking the bread. Okay, five quickfire things I want you to notice here if we're to live out of Jesus' story. Number one, we need to know it. You notice in verse 27 how Jesus took the time to explain from all the scriptures the things concerning himself listen the only way to overcome the faulty narratives of our culture is to be steeped in the narrative of the bible and see how it all points to jesus and really there are no shortcuts here it's going to involve developing habits over time of studying god's word and growing in our understanding i want to encourage you to consider how you might do that what steps you could take to go deeper in the understanding of god's word how do we live out of god's story out of jesus story we need to know it secondly we need to experience it verse 32 they said to each other didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Look, it's one thing knowing the truth. It's quite another to experience it. We need to be open and expectant for Jesus to come to us and cause our hearts to burn for him. And that's not a passive thing on our part. We need to actively put ourselves in a place of encountering him how might you do that well perhaps one way is not merely watching these talks online but taking the step to rejoin the church as we gather together worshipping together experiencing God together our expectation is as we do that he is specially among us come with that expectation and openness to experience Jesus 
How do we live out of Jesus' story? Thirdly, we need to keep remembering it. Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, at that point, their eyes were opened and they recognised him. I tell you, breaking bread together is a magnificent gift to us that ensures our eyes are constantly open to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Very practically, I want to urge you to celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly in your community groups. And for that matter, whenever you have other believers round for a meal. It's a simple but profound way to keep us from forgetting Jesus' death and resurrection. It helps us stay centred on the hope we have in him and it reminds us that we're part of a better story. How do we live out of Jesus' story? Well, fourthly, we need to share it. Verse 33 says, within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking on the road and how they had recognised him as he was breaking the bread. In a world where many don't know their place, identity or purpose, the resurrection changes everything. It provides us with all the certainty we could ever need that God is at work even through the darkest of times, that death is not the end, that life really is worth living and that life is ultimately found in Jesus. And if we're convinced of this, if we've experienced it to be true, if we're living in the good of it, surely it goes without saying that we would excitedly rush to share this story with others how do we live out of Jesus' story? Well, fifthly, it means living with Jesus as Lord. In verse 34, the disciples make the connection that because Jesus has really risen, then he is the Lord. If Jesus is alive and there's no body hiding in the sand somewhere out in the Middle East, if Jesus is who he said he was, if he is the embodiment of the God whom he called Father, the God that we all ache and long for, a God who is rich in love, mercy and grace, if the kingdom of God, the life-giving presence and healing rule of God is here in part and is coming in full, if Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of the end of death's reign and the start of what's to come, the resurrection of all his followers to live here on this earth made new in an age of eternal peace and justice and flourishing, then because of this, we have hope that human history is going somewhere. Our lives are part of something bigger. And when life is hard and painful and disappointing, as it often is, He's still there, out ahead of us, our champion, our Lord, leading and guiding us forward. And if we find ourselves in this story, we can be assured that the best part is yet to come. Now, I don't know what you think, but I would humbly put it to you that that is a much more compelling story to live out of than any of the narratives being peddled in the world today. 
that is a story to base your life on that is a narrative to live out of jesus is lord he's lord over all of history and he's got to be lord over every area of our lives and so as i draw to a close i want to encourage you to look at the story of your life afresh how jesus centered is it is this your narrative is jesus lordship the highest truth you live by and how can you be formed more deeply into this story how you think how you act what you love be honest is god's word shaping your understanding of how you live in the world or is the world shaping your understanding of god's word i want to call us in this moment of disruption to re-examine the script in our hearts and the narratives that we may have been seduced by and make sure that this is the narrative over our lives. Jesus is Lord.